I am the king of the ring. I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. It's a good dollar, but I think I paid too much. Welcome to the Japan Web Podcast, episode 118. And I am your host, MatthewPMBigelow.com. Coming at you from the Toshihisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. The armpit of Asia. This is the podcast, of course, that covers AI markets and trends in Japan. Society 5.0. What's that? Hmm? Uh, conflict in the Indo-Pacific, as well as some news analysis and odd items as we can find them. And so welcome, everybody, uh, joining us today. Uh, another busy day. Um, first things first, uh, the the ratings on the podcast are getting are getting better. Um, we've been hitting within the top 100 in like a few successive weeks now, according to the chartable data. Oh, that tracks Japan places and travel. It's like Japan's largest bracket for the Apple podcasts, uh, data tracking. Um, we hit number 30. We went from like number 44 to number 30 and it goes back down when you don't upload for a few days. Cause there's so much traffic in the podcasting sphere. Uh, and then we, we climbed back up into the uh, top 100 again at number 80 or something like that. So thank you for uh, tuning in. Thank you for downloading. And this is the only podcast that covers these angles in Japan, in this language, as far as I can tell. Other people try, but they don't have uh, the expertise that I do, which kind of sounds arrogant. But most people in Japan just like, hey, look, it's fashion. Oh, look. Ooh, it's something shiny. Speaking of shiny things, let's begin the podcast. New product. We're going to do a little language thing today. Japan, the Japanese language, is famous for onomatopoeia. Uh, little words that go crack, bang, boom. But uh, I once was a teacher to somebody who did a master's degree, like a paper, just one of many papers, not a degree, but I had a master's, a linguistics master's degree. And so does my wife, but this is a different student. Um, I mean, a different person. Come on, let's be real here. Long time ago, like 15 years ago. Anyways, and, uh, you know, when you come up from a Western country um, or, or a lot of Latin languages or what have you, a lot of like the onomatopoeic words are childish or kind of fun, like machine gun noises or explosions. I hit him in the face and I was like, and he was like, then I went and he was like blocked and he went, and I went, and I went need him right in the guts. Like, it's really fun. You start when you're four and you, you do it less when you're an adult, but once you get into that rut, man, it's fun. Uh, and it is a rut. But the Japanese automatopoeia, that's what the student that I had who was a master's and had a master's in linguistics, um, was saying that uh, Japanese automatopoeia is like way wider in scope and range and formality. Like uh, you would never see the uh, like a, a president stand up at a, at a quarterly report in, in America and say like, wow, man, we were like kaboom. And then we went kapah and our third quarter was like you know, they would never do that, but it would be totally fine if um, a CEO of a Japanese conservative company went up into it, went to address the board members or had a speech uh, for some sort of press release and used some automatopoeic words. Uh, and it's very different in Japanese. It's not like there's not a lot of emphasis around it. What's one that we can use right now? Coughing, like, <coughs> like that's how we would kind of do a cough in English. In Japanese, it's kang kang. So, like, ah, kang kang sta. Oh, kang kang stiru. Uh, something like that. And so it's more like a regular word. Uh, the doorbell rings and it's ping pong. Ah, ping pong sta. Ping pong dashu. Ping pong dash is uh, when you hit the doorbell and run away. Can't remember what that's called off my top of my head. I've been here for too long. But anyway, so. Let's get into it. This comes to us from the Mainichi. Any other ones that I like? Um, sube, sube, tsuru, tsuru. There's all these ones that have a real kind of tactile um, implication to them. And, and yeah, they're used all the time. Japanese, automaya, auto, uh, Japanese onomatopoeia guidebook hoped to help foreign workers navigate life in Japan. We'll get to the dystopia later. I just, I love language and it's been a part of my life. Or all of our lives, really, when you think about it. 
the Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. We are recording this podcast on November tw- November 14th, 2023, and this comes to us from November 13th, 2023, and it's from the city of Tsu. A language guidebook introducing Japanese automatopoeic words to convey the sound or condition of certain things is hoped to help technical internship trainees and other foreign nationals in Mie Prefecture at their job sites and with everyday situations. The book titled, quote, E kara otto ga wakaru hon, end quote, which means a book to understand the sound from pictures, like that's literally what it means, was created by Masao Hara, deputy director of the Hyogo Prefecture-based nonprofit Future of International Exchange Association and resident of Kameyama Mia Prefecture. He came up with the idea of creating the book after encountering many situations where he thought it would be helpful if non-Japanese speakers understood automatopoeic words to explain physical pain, such as zuki-zuki, Throbbing or gang gang, pounding. Like kang kang is cough, gang gang is pounding. He also said there was at least one incident where a foreign technical trainee faced a close call because they did not understand the automatopoeic word for gata gata, which signals a machine malfunction. Now, if you understand like place names or kanji very well, you can get along pretty well. But in terms of like, when if somebody is talking to you in Japanese and your understanding is of, of standard Japanese is very high, then they start using a whole bunch of automatopoeic words. It's um it's like similar to like an American using a whole bunch of phrasal verbs around Japanese. It's not the same, but it's in that level of it's very common to use, but unless you're around it, it's not easy to learn how to do it. Like uh, for example, if you an American soldier was in Afghanistan with like the Afghan coalition forces and they were clearing out a building and he signaled to the Afghan soldier, go three doors down. And he pointed like towards the end of the hallway, but the Afghan soldier didn't understand three doors down means three doors straight ahead. He, so the Afghan soldier went downstairs because he heard down. So he literally went down and the American guy was like, these people don't understand how to talk English, but you said down, like, how do you, how do you know what three doors down, which is also a band name, right? Or songs, Superman, something like that. Anyways, um, unless you're in that situation, unless you're brought up in the culture, it's really hard to look at a book and like three doors down means go straight, um, follow the hallway along the floor, (laughs) You would just say to yourself, well, I'm going to just say, follow the hallway along the floor. But then you meet people and they say, three doors down. So Hara and his team first picked up 100 onomatopoeic words from the Daijidin Japanese Dictionary and classified them into action, emotion, and state of objects, among other categories. These include shito, shito, used to describe quiet rainfall, or zara zara, to convey the sense of rough surfaces, as well as the difference between meso meso and wawa when crying. Uh, meso meso means sob. The latter means crying out loud. Wah, wah, wah. Meso, meso, meso. Each automatopoeic word is accompanied by an illustration and descriptions in Chinese, Vietnamese, Nepalese, and Indonesian. It took them five years to complete the book. Chinese resident Wang Fang, 29, who works at a supermarket in the city of Tsu, has lived in Japan for two years. She said, quote, when I was told that the floor is tsuru tsuru in Japanese, I didn't know what it meant. But when I saw the illustration in the book, I instantly understood that tsuru tsuru means the floor is clean or slippery, end quote. Uh, we're going to stop it there, but um, I, I've had a, I've had to work with Chinese people and I've had Chinese students in the past. And a lot of them like assume that because Chinese kanji and Japanese kanji are relatively the same in many ways, you don't really need to study Japanese. But then Chinese people come across um, katakana words like loan words in English, um, like uh, stoa. It's a, it's different from kanji, but in Chinese, they just use phonetic Chinese symbols, shita, uh, like Starbucks stores, uh, Starbucks shita, and it's all in kanji, but it doesn't, it doesn't represent what the kanji means. Those picture words is what I'm going to call them. 
pictoglyphs. I can't remember what they're called. Uh, so this type of book, if you're like a Chinese intern working at a, or a Vietnamese intern working at a factory or in a supermarket, and people are using these words constantly all the time around you, this would be a great book to use. I'm actually thinking about getting it because these books, these words explain very, very kind of complex things. Like the floor is slippery because it's wet or something like that. We just cleaned the floor and now it's slippery. Ah, you know, and you kind of understand immediately what that means. Like it conveys really complex things in a very simple fashion. So I would recommend looking at this book if you're interested in linguistics. And again, it's called E Kara. E means picture. Kara from Oto sound. Ga subject marker. Wakaru understand home book. E Kara Oto ga Wakaru home. A book to understand the sound from pictures. Created by Masao Hara. And it's released from the AP Fracture. I'll be including a picture of the book and some of the authors and his team holding up the book in various pictures on the website MatthewPMBigelow.com. That's MatthewPMBigelow.com to learn more about automatopoeic words from the new book in Japan. Moving on, today is going to be a very heavy Society 5.0 day. Japan Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have access to the latest medical advancements at a low cost, no matter where we are. AI and robots will enhance human ability and expand our infinite possibilities, helping us enjoy more fulfilling lives. Society 5.0, for the betterment of human lives. All right. I don't usually play that thing in its, in its entirety, um, but today is a, such a big Society 5.0 day. Usually I stop it at the thing in that Japanese government promotional video jingle introductory um, clip that's from YouTube at the, the thing that I'm going to cover. So if I could just self-driving cars, I'll just stop it at self-driving cars and so on. Now I'm going to have to explain this every time because new people are listening every time. So Japan society 5.0 is probably as you would guess, like the envisioned future of digital transformation, wireless networks, AI drone deliveries, or the plethora of new technologies based on artificial intelligence and interfacing via tablets and, and iPhones or smartphones to devices and using them remotely and creating this kind of digital world. And I, I quite like it. I spent five years at a telecommunications company teaching an AI class to AI engineers and uh, executives high up in the company. And some of them moved into the C-suite, I believe. Um, and so I've kept up my interest in this because, well, they're they're very powerful people who have very powerful ideas that want to um, make a future that affects you and me and your family. And it's not only Japan that's doing this. Uh, Japan's tying up with we had plans a few years ago, as far as I as as I remember, I'm not sure where it, that plan is right now to tie up with the Thai government as well to introduce some of these um, technologies. Maybe Japan's planning on using it as a testing bed. Uh, typically, Japan does not like to roll things out first. They like to hold back, wait, and study, and find out the applications that work for the Japanese society, and then find a way to make those be delivered by Japanese companies into Japanese society. You know, the a very typical case of such a thing would be Toyota. Uh, Toyota makes a, a lot of the cars. Then there's also Nissan and then there's Mazda. Then you also get some imports like BMWs and things like that. So you do find a lot of Porsches and Porsches and in Tokyo and whatnot. But 
largely speaking, uh, that's the way Japan likes to roll out. So they don't just open up a bunch of Ford factories in Japan and allow Ford to kind of dominate the market in Japan. Uh, they research it and then find a way to make it Japanese because there's all these unique things about Japan that has to, you know, be Japanese about it. Now, we're going to begin Japan Society 5.0. And today's the the theme uh, where the research has led me is to compare various systems. Um, now, like I just said, I quite support all of these ideas when it's uh, focusing on, when they're focused on the things around us. Like uh, a very typical example is, Japan has one of the fastest supercomputers in the world. It used to be the fastest, but it's just been recently downgraded to number four. It's called the Fugaku. And it's like, we think about a computer as like a, a desktop or something, but it's like, it's a building of, of wires and networks and whatever, right? So it's like a data center that's one computer is kind of the way I visualize it. Um, and they gave a partial access of this super fast computer to researchers and experts at a, at a company, not a company, a research group called Riken, which is one of the top research groups in Japan. They, they fire beams like into like high powered beams into particles to see if it replicates what they believe are be, atoms being created within the sun, like those types of people. So they gave all this hypercomputer space uh, to these weather researchers and AI researchers and now you can download an app and it predicts the weather in Tokyo, but it also shows you the current cloud density in real time above you. And you can zoom into the clouds on the app and get real time data about where it's going to be raining and where it's not going to be raining to like the square kilometer zone. So if you look at the weather and you, like the weather on Google or whatever, and it'll say, oh, it's going to be raining all day. Well, that might be for your entire city. But what if it's only raining on the outskirts of the city, which could be different from the center of the city? Like this app shows you in real time the situation of the clouds and it gives you some predictive models as well. And then the more you use this um, app, the more it sends the data back and forth to your, I don't have my location engaged, but you can to, and then if your location is engaged, it's probably going to be tagging you to see what the weather is actually like. So if they predict it's going to be raining and it's not raining, well, then they can correct their um, applications and things like that. Like that's just one version of society 5.0. And I use this app in conjunction with my eyes. You know, I look out the window and in conjunction with Google, I look it up there. But with this thing, I can kind of go, oh, look, there's going to be a really heavy rain that's going to be targeting like my house in 10 minutes. And if I have a bunch of stuff outside, I bring it in and nine times out of 10, it's accurate. So when we think about Society 5.0, it's these types of things as well. But then we also know that with all the tracking involved, well, now it knows my location and it sends the weather data and it can, can confirm with this app. But what if somebody else gets a handle on that information and they're like, oh, it said, you said you were going to be here for your workplace, but you were actually over here. Well, how did you get that data? Well, our company bought that company and now we're reintegrating that data into like a customer uh, employee positive relationship sphere and you're violating that sphere now. So you're going to be um, docked some sort of points and that, that, that it can go that way very easily. It's already going that way in China and um, other parts of the world as well. If you are seen violating the terms of service off platform, then you get violation terminologies headed your way. So um, let's just take a look at one example of this and this is let's begin. So finally, we're beginning from japantoday.com. So I'm just saying there's the double sided, super edgy coin that's a sword and it's valuable, blah, blah, blah. Tokyo has a new vending machine where everything inside is free. This comes to us from Sora News 24, the hate read of the week. Now, th this article is very redundant by Casey Basile. If I had more time, I would read it. Uh, in its entirety. Um, but let's just like uh, the, the new vending machine at the Tokyo department store in Tokyo's Kichijoji neighborhood seems like it passes the vending machine qualification check, although it doesn't vend because it's everything inside is free. It's called the Morairu Jihanki, which translates loosely to the quote, you can have what's inside vending machine. At first glance, it looks like a vending machine, but it's not. 
so how do you get the things out of it? Well, you need a smartphone app. So you have to have like a QR code and a smartphone app. You'll need a smartphone in order to obtain items from this machine, but you won't have to spend a single yen. Instead, using the line messaging app, you friend the official Moeiru Jihanki line account. Line is a popular messaging service um, account uh, app in Japan. It's, it's expanded into like an everything type of app. Then you take a look at the items the machine is stocked with, pick out what you want, and send its product code to the Moeiru Jihanki account. Uh, the account will then message you back with a URL to a short survey. And once you've filled it out, you're given a QR code. Bring up the QR code on your phone screen, place it in front of the vending machine scanner, and it will dispense the item you wanted completely free of charge. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a pain in the ass? No such thing as a free vending machine. Now, again, you know, depending on how you answer the questions, it's going to try to create consumer profile on you. And it might be, you know, none of that. It, it connects your phone to the vending machine. There's a timestamp and all that. I, well, whatever. I wouldn't necessarily care too much. I wouldn't really use it unless I had no money. If I had no money and I really needed something from inside of this thing, then I would use it no problem. But it's obviously there's something going on with this type of thing. It's like consumer surveys for free stuff in a vending machine. That's a little, a little wonky, but that's Japan society 5.0. A lot of these uh, ideas don't generate money either. When I was at the telecommunications company, everybody was saying that it's like, even like the higher ups, like the person in charge of the IOT division was like, this technology is amazing, but where is the profit model with the telecommunication itself? You have a phone and you pay for that service on the phone. What you, you can expand the services or you can diminish the services. So if you want this, 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 they'll provide it with you. And it's like that much, that's how much it costs. But with all this IoT stuff and Internet of Things and, and AI, it's like, well, we stacked it up and there's no value in it unless you sell that data to somebody else. So the, the ideal profit model on all this is surveillance capitalism. China's been doing it. We've all been doing it. We're, we're halfway in this world. And depending on how we incorporate it into our lives and our societies, it's going to be like, hey, this is actually very convenient or, oh, this is just highly oppressive. For example, there are vending machines in China that you pay with your face. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but paying with your face at a Chinese vending machine is like five years old now. But because it's software enabled, the government says now to pay with your face, you also have to have a social credit score of 550. I believe the Chinese social credit score ranges to from 350 to 850 for some weird reason. So 550 is like you're not the best, but you're not the worst. But you still need to prove that you are able to pay with your face to to have a cup of water from a vending machine and you still have to pay with it and it deducts it in real time from the wallet that you're carrying in your hand. It's a, is it about the money or is it about the control? So this whole thing in Japan, well, it's just a survey and you get what you want and maybe they get some consumer profile data that they can sell to some sort of other third party to see what consumers are looking for in places like Kichijoji, which is a very popular area with a lot of foot traffic from all over the city. But I'm not exactly sure what else that it's going on. Now, the next one that we're going to look at is a um, cleaning toilet robot. And this is this could be really good. This could be our very clean future. Now, this is a post on uh, X or Twitter. It has 1.5 million views and it just shows a robot going into a public toilet and it cleans the toilet. It probably has some mapping inside. It has some cameras on it. It's an empty bathroom. Uh, of course, if you were doing this, if you were doing this um, in a private bathroom in your home, well, you don't want a giant robot filled with chemicals trundling around in your apartment. But if you are running a, a large facility somewhere and there's a, a, 
a need for it. Like we don't have enough cleaning or we are tired of hiring and firing all these cleaning people. Now we have this robot. We equip it with a map. We have these uh, Wi-Fi routers everywhere. So it maintains connections and it goes into the bathroom and it understands what the toilet looks like. And it's a program because all the toilets are standardized because we're a giant facilities. So all the toilets came from the same place at the same time and it cleans the toilets and then it leaves and then it's fine. Now I'll be posting the video to this on to MatthewPMBigelow.com, um, a lot of these new facilities as well equip their elevators with Wi-Fi capabilities, which is a security risk, if you ask me. But it means that these robots don't need to push the buttons in the elevator. They can interface with the elevators via Wi-Fi. You can imagine the security risks, right? Like if you're not really secure with this stuff and you hack into it, I mean, wow, you could really, I don't know what you could do, but if you have access to the building's elevators and robots and via the, the maintenance side of the building, you could... You could do some crap, right? You could really have the the, the app cray hit the hand fay in a, in a serious a way. But that video will be. But it looks like it's just like a standard thing. It's a it's a it's a dumb robot on wheels. It has some uh, computer vision. It hooks up to Wi Fi and probably had an API with a map. And it goes around the building and it cleans the toilets. And it's not like an individual house with everything. It's not like a bunch of individual houses where everybody has their own staircase, their own toilets, their own idiosyncrasies within their houses that robots get jammed up with because they don't know what to do about it. It would just go from floor to floor to floor cleaning the robots. And we all know those jobs are very robotic, but they are jobs and they're probably going to go away. Now, that's just like having a very clean future, isn't it? Would you like to have more robots? Would you, How about this? You go into a bathroom to use it, and somebody is in there cleaning it. Do you feel comfortable with them in there? I don't usually care. But would you feel less comfortable if it was a robot? Like if you went into a, a bathroom and a robot was cleaning a toilet, would you would you relieve yourself next to the robot, or would you relieve yourself onto the robot? What if the robot then catches you on camera and sends that, to a security guard and the security guard comes up to you, holds up a tablet device and say, sir, is this you? And it's like you holding your cock. There's a bunch of pee coming out of it, splashing all over the robot's camera. And you're like, no, <laughs> like, well, our facial recognition service in our uh, database has given us a 97% percent uh, connection positive. So you are this person according to us and we're going to arrest you. So don't pee on the robots because these things will be equipped and you will go to jail. The robots will send you to jail. Um, but overall, I'm all for it, actually. Yeah, I'm all for it. If we're going to have this society, we need to focus on the robots and things like doing the things around us, like cleaning the toilets, picking the vegetables, use of AI robots on the rise in Japanese agriculture. Um, this can be very agreeable, in my opinion. A lot of this work is, is backbreaking work. And that doesn't mean that the horticulturalists and all the people will be removed. It just means they don't have to stoop down all the time and break their backs to get all the vegetables. They can still control the, the soil. They can still design the buildings and they can still have a co-working relationship with the agricultural robot. This is kind of the future that I've always envisioned. Like as a robotic, as a farmer in the future, you would wake up in the morning and have like a couple of drones that scan your farm to see the situation You'd see them going on the tablet and sending back the feed in real time. And then they also have some heat scanners and et cetera on the bottom of these drones. And you would get like a differential between 9 a.m. the previous day and 9 a.m. that day and see what's different and send out some dog drones. Or if there's like uh, if you notice a bunch of weeds coming up, you would tell the drone to go spray the weeds. So instead of just spraying your entire field with chemicals to kill some weeds they would go up to the individual weeds where they could find them and just spray them individually thereby reducing the amount of chemicals you're spraying onto the farm because apparently like 80 percent of the chemicals sprayed on most farms in america don't even make it to where they're supposed to be so imagine what that's doing to the entire country no wonder everyone's fat 
Smart Agriculture, this comes to us from Tokyo via Keita Funaki from Kyoto News on japantoday.com. Smart Agricultural is increasingly being employed in Japan, arousing, why arousing? Arousing expectations that producers will be able to entrust artificial intelligence with more labor-intensive tasks to alleviate severe manpower shortages. Now, recently I've been covering how uh, the amount of labor that's coming into Japan. And it's not always good. The bringing in 500,000, you know, Vietnamese technical internees uh, before COVID and then after COVID with the yen collapsing has resulted in a lot of them absconding from their positions and either resorting to convenience store work, which they're not very good at because they're technical trainees, meaning they're, they're dudes that should be driving forklifts or whatever, or they resort to crime as is seen as well. Uh, not condemning them, but I will say you shouldn't go somewhere else and commit crimes, but life is tough. So would you rather have 500,000 people come that face just weird, futuristic, problematic situations like COVID-19 and then a, a, a currency crash? Well, if you just have the robots, the argument is you would just turn them off or turn them on depending on what is needed. You wouldn't have to integrate this many people. Well, if you don't integrate anybody, then your entire world becomes robots. Yeah, those are the, those are the arguments. Large-scale greenhouse farmers are leading the way for this robot stuff. Having begun to use AI-equipped robots developed by venture businesses in ways that seem, more or less, to change the future shape of cultivating and harvesting agricultural products. In September, a four-wheeled AI robot will slowly roll through the lush green leaves of a plastic greenhouse at a farm in Hanyu, Saitama Prefecture, gathering only the ripest cucumbers. Quote, We were initially afraid that the robot might cut off the cucumber stems, but it moves accurately, end quote, said Takashi Yoshida, head of the farm called Takamiya no Aisai. Quote, We expect much out of the robot now that labor is in such short supply, end quote. The firm is operated by a subsidiary of Takamiyako, which manages agricultural greenhouses and other facilities, while the robot was developed by startup Agrist Inc. and uses a camera and AI to determine if it is the right time to harvest crops. The farm leased the automated cucumber harvester from Agrist, which has been developing harvesting robots since its founding in 2019 in the southwestern Japan prefecture of Miyazaki. Oh, God. I, I forgot to research this company, Agris. Now I was thinking, oh, is it going to be from China? Are, are Chinese companies just going to be scanning the insides of Japanese farms to understand, you know, everything that's going on there? Takamiya no Aisai is the first farm to lease one from Agrist, and the robot checks the size of the cucumbers based on images it captures from a camera mounted on the robot, recognizing ripe ones and cutting off one to three spheres roughly every two minutes before placing them in a case. Spheres? The robot also accurately positions its arms vis-a-vis cucumbers so as to avoid damaging their stems. The startup hopes that with more success, other farms will adopt the system of its kind. And there's other um, examples in this article as well. I'm going to stop it there. But as you can see, this idea of using um, robots to focus on the labor intensive things around us, and it's not going to be you know, obviously the robot will be charging sometimes and humans have to go in and get their hands dirty. But overall, a good thing, I would say, oh, this robot cleans the toilets in this building. What about the people cleaning the toilets? Not a good job. It's fine to automate it. This one picks the cucumbers. What about the humans picking the cucumbers? Well, the farmers still make the cucumbers and develop the facilities. There's plenty of things for them to do. It's not an actual farmer robot. Pretty good. Now, those are the kind of the good things. This is what we're going to move on now into the other things. So is it high or is it not high? Now, the World Economic Forum. If you listen to the beginning of Japan Society 5.0, the Fourth Industrial Revolution will... The Fourth Industrial Revolution is Klaus Schwab speak, literally. He wrote a book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution, and he is the head of and founder of the World Economic Forum and the writer of the book COVID-19, The Great Reset. And Klaus Schwab and his buddies frequently meet with leaders all over the world, including leaders of Japan. 
Klaus Schwab can come to Japan and have a meeting at the prime minister's office. And then the prime minister's office of Japan will release uh, uh, what they talked about on the government website. And what they talk about are like the, a lot of the vocabulary is the vocabulary, like the fourth industrial revolution, COVID-19 stakeholder capitalism, all this stuff. So the idea that we have these robots that just go around great is fine. But like I mentioned earlier, or in China, oh, it's just to use your face to pay for this uh, Coca-Cola from a vending machine. Oh, now you need a social credit score. Oh, now if you have a lower social credit score than the threshold of this vending machine, it alerts police to where you are and police will come over and ask you questions. And then other people can download apps to see who around them has low credit scores so that they can be away from those people. So it creates like, oh, it's a convenient vending machine. But then three years later, it's some sort of network of societal control. That's what this Society 5.0 stuff is. That's why it's not profitable. That's why it's not profitable. It's all about control, it seems. That's my understanding. But if you can just use it for things like robots cleaning toilets and robots cleaning cucumbers, then we have this nice future, a nice, a very clean future. But once it's like, okay, you want to have this cucumber pick your uh, this robot pick your cucumbers, this cucumber pick your robot, then well, you'll need a social credit score. Just go down to your local office. Oh, we don't have that. Okay, well then scan your face and send it to us. We'll confirm it in the database. We'll get back to you. And depending on your social credit score, you'll get a certain type of robot delivered to you based on that. It's like, well, what does that even mean? We don't even know. Nobody knows. Um, so we're going to look at uh, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Klaus Schwabian side of these activities inside of Japan. And the side will be focusing on is it or is it? So is it or is it dystopian? Is it dystopian or is it not dystopian? Is it or is it? So this first solution from the World Economic Forum is about creating a system that totally reduces like a carbon zero. This company is bringing net zero is bringing zero waste shopping to Japan. I'm going to play it here and I'll narrate it as it goes. We're just going to wait for it to load up here. Just a second. All right. I think we got it going here. I'm going to narrate over this. It'll be a bit weird. This company is bringing zero-waste shopping to Japan. You can buy food, detergents, and shampoos in Loops sustainable containers that can be refilled over and over and over again. You pay a deposit on your first purchase. Now I'm going to pause it there. It's, you pay a deposit on your first purchase. And again, it's this QR code that pops out the side of a box. And that's it's like a, a container and you, and you order goop and you you get you goop instead of buying many containers. Now this says World Economic Forum on it. And this is a shopping center in, or in Japan. And it says SDI's 21. Now social development. What's an SDI? Sustainable Development Impact Summit from, I guess, 2021. When the container is empty, you simply drop it back at the supermarket. The system repays the deposit. Now, again, you have to scan a QR code on the side of your metallic container and with your smartphone, and then you then you get it back. So, again, it's not a profit thing. It's like this weird tracking system where you constantly have to be scanning QR codes with your phone, which are filled with whatever scan, like whatever they want, the timestamps, all that stuff in your phone that you agree to to um, to use this system and uh, it, there are a lot of there is a lot of waste plastic waste in Japan not gonna lie but that that doesn't mean that we need the World Economic Forum to come in with a tracking system to send us a subscription model for random goop that we get it cleans and met sends the manufacturer for read film and loop has teamed up with supermarket chain eon and offers 16 types of products. It also launched an e-commerce site where Loop delivers refillable containers to your door and collects them when you're done. Japan produces 9.4 million tons of plastic waste a year, or 
37 kilograms per capita, the second highest in the world. Despite its excellent waste infrastructure, it requires, recycles only 25% of its waste. The rest is incinerated, dumped in landfill, or shipped abroad. However, the Japanese have a word, multainain, which expresses shame over needless waste. And pressure is growing up leaders, pressure is growing on leaders to cut plastic waste. Now, that took uh, a long time to configure that video for some reason. But, so, the idea, I've always wondered, like, why do we always need to have just plastic containers for everything. Why don't I just bring my own containers to the grocery store and like you fill up your milk or something like that. You don't always need cartons of milk. Why isn't there just huge amounts of milk at the supermarket and you fill up your milk there? <laughs> I think it's gonna, it would just get messy. You'd have to wait in line for your milk all the time and people would spill it and splash it over. People are always touching things and throwing things back at the supermarket. So I was like, that's too bad. You know, it's like, wouldn't it be nice if we could just go to the supermarket with our own containers and fill them up and come back. But no, there's too much randomness at the end point of the consumer um, supply chain delivery system. So no, but I'm not sure if we need to have the world economic forum, like with this society 5.0, we'll just, you'll, you'll just get subscriptions of stuff with containers that we recycle. And then it's not your container that's delivered back to you. It's a subscription service. So it's just some container from somewhere that's cleaned somehow and filled with the goop that you want and is delivered to your door. And that's their, are they, is that, is that dystopian or is that not dystopian? I'm not exactly sure. I don't really like the idea. It's a stupid idea, but maybe Eon is all in on it. Most of these giant corporations in Japan are all in on the SDGs by 2030 and they are just kind of rolling out these weird solutions all over the place. So when you compare it to like a robot cutting cucumbers or um, picking cucumbers or a robot that cleans a toilet, sure, that's fine. But then it's like, well, now we have this subscription service to reduce on your waste and you you get these canisters and you order things online and we will fill the canisters with what you want. And then we deliver it to you and you scan it with your phone. And then when you're done with it, you get a deposit by scanning the QR code again with your phone. And we can understand more things about you and suggest ways for you to cut waste. Or maybe you can get good citizen points through this structure and all that. So that to me sounds like it's a stepping stone towards the Chinese system. Another one from the WEF that thank God is not video um, is cities present models for using data for social impact. This talks about the G20 Global Smart Cities Alliance model policies and regional networks are helping to accelerate and the responsible adoption of smart city technologies to transform cities. This comes to us from the World Economic Forum as well. Um, it says uh, Tsukuba City in Japan, which is where Mr. Haas is from. He's a He's a politician up there, a foreign politician, is using personal privacy impact assessments for all new technologies to increase public confidence when citizens use technology to access services such as healthcare and online voting. <laughs> what? <laughs> so whenever the whenever the whenever the WEF gets involved, it, it just becomes very, very strange. Uh, the World Economic Release, this comes to us from November 8th, 2023. The World Economic Forum released today a white paper and two new model policies that highlight how cities can implement new technologies and share data safely to, to improve city services and increase quality of life. Written in partnership with Deloitte, Governing Smart Cities, Use Cases for Urban Transformation, Profiles Pilot Governance and Policy Programs for Responsible and Ethical Technology Adoption in Mexico City, Scuba, Japan, and Istanbul, Turkey. Um, model policies are an important first step to help cities understand global best practice and establish roadmaps for effective technology governance, said Jeff Merritt, head of urban transformation at the World Economic Forum. Quote, however, to deliver on these plans and adapt to local context, access to expertise and peer networks is essential. So this is the Think Local Act 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 global. Is that what that is? It just be a communist. So the, obviously they, they say things like we need global best practice and technology governance. And those are said separately from each other in the sentence, but it basically means global best 
technology governance or best global technology governance. And so these are globalists that just want to find ways to make people behave in certain manners. In Japan, the alliance has worked with the authorities in Tsukuba to help the city adapt personal privacy impact assessment policy to the municipal context to mitigate potential privacy harms or desperate impacts before they occur. Quote, the work we do through the regional networks is where the action happens, end quote, said Fumikazu Kitagawa, a partner at Deloitte Japan. Quote, we help turn international best practice into locally specific policies that make smart cities more data-driven, people-centric, and future-ready. And it goes on from there. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it, it'll be on MatthewPMBigelow.com. So just like with the... But that's the that's the main crux of today's podcast, by the way. So you have this idea of, okay, a vending machine where inside and everything is free, but you need a QR code to scan it, and then you have to do a survey, and then it probably analyzes your consumer behavior and sends that off somewhere. Well, it's free. You get it. Same thing within China. Hey, you don't need your wallet. You don't need your phone even. You just need your face. Scan your face to get this bottle of water, and it's just very cheap. Now you need a social credit score. Oh, really? It's just incorporated into these machines. Hmm? Does that just happen by accident or is there some sort of plan? Same thing with like, the, I've already mentioned it, but the cucumber picker, pickers or the uh, toilet cleaners. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. That way, like a, a robot picking a cucumber can't really get into the, the societal governance. Of, of everything is just picking cucumbers. Um, same thing with these robot cleaners in, in corporate building offices or complexes, cleaning the same, essentially the same toilet on every floor over and over and over again. It can't really, there's no QR code scanning. So like this whole idea of, uh, of the Japan society 5.0, the very clean future is when we make the robots focus on the things around us. But the super crazy weird future is when like the, the, the robots and the automation systems try to get into our heads and then they use the data to manipulate citizens to do X, Y, and Z because there's a future where we all have to obey this top-down layer of technology where it appears to us in the form of a QR code, which gains them access to everything about us, and we gain a bottle of water in return for that. So that's the whole thing. And it's, I've been saying it for years, and it the, doesn't really matter what happens. The same patterns repeat themselves. It's not really about profit. It's about control, unless it's about cutting costs and making things more efficient, in which case that's like the focusing on the robots doing the things. Another example would be um, harvesting uh, farmed or growing farmed oysters in oceans that are relatively calm. The Japan, the inland Japan Sea, for example, you can have sensors on uh, on these growth platforms that monitor the conditions of the sea. And then depending on the current, if it's slow, you might have that release the feed to the oysters so that they get more of the feed, something like that. It's not going to take over the world. It's not going to be super weird and creepy. And you don't have Klaus Schwab with the SDG symbols hovering around your bosses or the office or talking to the politicians and stuff like that. But that's what, that's basically what it is. Now um, to escalate this to the next level, we have uh, the next version of the Chinese model. So the Chinese model doesn't only extend to, of course, rewarding good citizens with, with, with positive outcomes that exhibit good behaviors according to whatever the Communist, Communist Party of China wants at that moment in time. Of course, we all know that they have the Uyghurs and the, the Tibetans all in their systems in, in, in China. And I'm asking you right now, would you like to live in such a system as a non, as a minority, you know, but that's what's happening in China as well. The network of cameras that can have computer vision in them that send warnings or alert systems to police can make policing very efficient as well as very oppressive. This comes to us from IPVM.com. Hikvision Hikvision is a, one of the main AI companies in China, specializing in 
uh, AI surveillance and computer vision cameras and things like that. There's hundreds of millions of them scattered all over China. If you think it's like some woo-wah technology that's some sort of man in his basement testing things out with some sort of uh, result that could happen in 30 or 50 years time. No, 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 no. It's happening right now. It's not always perfect, but it doesn't matter because it's not about the perfection. It's not about the money, although it is, but it's also about the control. Hikvision wins project requiring Ramadan alerts against minorities. Which minorities? How many minorities do you know practice Ramadan, which is the Muslim diet thing where they only eat at night for some reason? I've never understood it, but I always say, go for it, Muslims. Eat whenever you want. I'm not joining your Ramadan thing. I'm going to have bacon and eggs in the morning and a couple of beers at night. Thank you. Hikvision won a People's Republic of China smart campus system that alerts when ethnic minority students are suspected of fasting for Ramadan. Hikvision responded by admitting it won the project, but alleging, without evidence, that these alerts were never actually developed or deployed. Similarly, Hikvision recently blamed an employee for Hikvision including minority detection tech in its latest software. Hikvision has not offered any explanation for a $6 million contract explicitly requiring Hikvision Uyghur recognition that we reported on earlier this year. Your ethnicity can be identified by biometrics. It doesn't matter what you look like. It's how the genetics of your face align with each other in aggregate. Executive summary. Hikvision won a $9 million PRC smart campus project in mid-2022 that alerts administrators to any ethnic minority students, quote, suspected of fasting, end quote, during Ramadan based on, quote, dining records. Oh, when did you buy that thing from the vending machine? Did you use the QR code? When did you get your Goop subscription delivered? The uh, the alerts are part of a larger surveillance system against ethnic minority students that tracks what books they borrow, their holiday destinations, family information, and more. Oh, it's in aggregate, just like I said. This raises human rights concerns for targeting Uyghurs and Muslims amid a broader PRC uh, crackdown. Um, it goes on from there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're very, very uh, busy today. Uh, It creates a surveillance system targeting ethnic minority students. So again, once we focus it on the people and then their identities and their fasting records, and now we're getting in their heads, oh, these might be Muslims and we need to monitor them. Dirty future. Robots cleaning toilets. Very clean future. Does this make sense? Am I hammering at home? (laughs) I would like to take a break, but we got more. Now, why don't we just take a, I'm going to play a quick jingle and take a a cup of water. Oh, wait. So what do you think? Is the WEF and the China systems, are the WEF and China systems dystopian or non-dystopian? Is the idea that I have where we focus on the robots doing the things around us clean future what do you think is it clean future or is it dirty dystopian future this one brings us back to japan and this is on the ethics side not the dystopian side this is from lexology.com artificial intelligence versus copyright Very interesting, isn't it? Hmm. If you would like to learn how, why isn't this working? Hold on a second. I got my my firewalls up here. Got to bring them down. Japan typically has strong copyright laws or weak copyright laws, depending on where you are. And a lot of people are saying, well, if you are Monet and you use AI to make a Monet-style painting... Is that copyright infringement? Maybe if you try to sell it as a Monet, that would be fraud. But by now, Monet is kind of a universal idea. What if you uh, tried to make a song inspired by the Beatles? Well, people have done that. Um, a French guy, Francois Benoit, by Daddy's Car, I think is the name of it. Sony has an AI division at its music company to help people make AI-related songs and so on and so forth. 
But what about something new? What if like, what's a current writer that we all know and care about? Well, Douglas Murray is one of them. Uh, who has certain flair? I'm not really even sure. Uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. Let's take that. Kazuo Ishiguro is was born in Japan, raised in England, and has written some of the best books in the past 30 or 40 years. Or Haruki Murakami. Still alive. These two people, still alive, still well, still writing books. What if you wrote, asked AI to write a book like them and then sold it? Well, now that they're still living and still selling books, is that legal? These types of things. And that's what's coming up today from uh, Lexology.com. And the claim is artificial intelligence is rapidly gaining attention. This raises a lot of legal issues. Can AI freely learn from other people's artworks? And I have the original set up here from Lexology.com. Artificial intelligence. Uh, is it possible to sell AI-generated art? These are all solved differently in legislation of each country. Today, we will have a look at the Japanese regulation. Number one, the opinion of the Ministry of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology, or MEXPSCT. On April 24th, 2023, the Ministry, Minister of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology, or the Minister of of Japan, Keiko Nagaoka, expressed his view <laughs> that generative AI in Japan could be freely trained on any publicly available data and that the works created should be freely used, even for commercial purposes. Such a categorical statement caused heated discussion. Experts noted that Japan was trying to surpass the United States in terms of AI regulation to become the leader in AI technology. The, agent, the Agency for Cultural Affairs, the special body of Japanese Ministry of Education, Cultural Sports and Technology, published a document entitled Relationship Between AI and Copyright. The main idea of this document is that the regulation differs at the stage of AI development and learning and at the stage of generation and use of content. The document establishes that copyright is intended to protect creative feelings and expressions of the author. On the other hand, a copyrighted work, as a general rule, can be used for AI learning and development without the copyright's holder's permission since the AI does not attempt to enjoy the thoughts or feelings expressed in the work. Isn't that interesting? So, what is it? Uh, the, the copyright is intended to protect creative feelings and expressions of the author. But the AI does not attempt to enjoy, because it can't, it's a computer, the thoughts or feelings expressed in the work. So that's the loophole. Enjoy. On the other hand, the use of AI-generated content may be considered a copyright infringement if AI-generated content is found to be similar to an existing artwork. The copyright holder will be able to turn to the court for the protection of his or her rights or claims, damages, or injunction relief. The infringer may even face a criminal sanction. Um, it's very interesting, isn't it? Now, that so the idea is that well, the AI doesn't enjoy it, so it doesn't. It's not violating anything. That's more or less the Japanese take, according to um, uh, Lexology.com, and I'll be linking that at MatthewPMBigelow.com. You can go to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Oh, why don't I plug? You can go to MatthewPMBigelow.com where you can enjoy the show notes, the links, the photos, and more. You can also donate by clicking on the PayPal link there, paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. That's paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. Or you can download one of the new fancy podcasting 2.0 apps. They are Bitcoin compliant, meaning you set up a GetAlby wallet, you start incorporating your podcasts and find a podcast that accepts Bitcoin donations in the form of Satoshis, such as mine, and send it directly to the podcaster. It it circumvents the censorious nature that's growing within these fields of AI tracking, as well as the centralization of big tech. Podcasting 2.0 has been developed using protocols open source so that it prevents teams of lawyers and teams of middle managers getting in between what you want to listen to and enjoy and stopping you from enjoying that by calling you a racist and then getting advertising dollars incorporated into it so it delivers you a bunch of ads you never need. 
Podcasting 2.0, the Japan What Podcast, Matthew PM Bigelow.com. Um, where were we? Where were we indeed? Uh, oh, yes. So this website also kind of provided an interesting um, AI or art quiz. And by now, unless you're really, really good, it's super hard to distinguish AI content from older previous works of art. Um, I tried this. I was pretty good at the image because I'm, I'm, I've been using AI art generating a lot for images, but uh, some of the art generators are very, very convincing now. Uh, some of the ones that I don't use, so I'm not used to their artifacts. I wasn't able to identify it. But there's also French literature and English literature examples. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and it doesn't, you could say it's an AI or you could say it's a real author, but unless you're really, really knowledgeable about these people, you're not going to know. It could be either. Now, I've read a lot of F. Scott, F. Francis Scott Fitzgerald or F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Great Gatsby, among, among others. This is a quote generated by AI, or is it the real author? How would you guess? This is the quote. As I watched Gatsby's eyes light up at the sight of Daisy, I knew that he would do anything to win her back. Is that AI or is that the real author? I'm clicking on the real author. Wrong. An AI. <laughs> Next one. John Keats or an AI. Awake to morning's early light and fill our soul with inspiration's fire. Allow the dreams of life to guide us, encourage us to strive ever higher. Hmm, AI. Indeed, it's an AI. Now, fill our soul with inspirations. Fire does not sound like a, a great poet. I studied poetry, so I'm kind of an, a knowledgeable about that. William Shakespeare or an AI. Have you not made an universal shout that Tiber trembled underneath her banks to hear the replication of your sounds made in her concave shores? AI. Wrong. That's from Julius Caesar. And I've read Julius Caesar. I was trying to do the iambic pentameter and it wasn't really working out, but they're kind of cheating. We'll do one more. No, we're not going to do Jane Austen. Um, Oscar. What? Next. John Keats or an AI. Sometimes whoever seeks abroad may find thee sitting careless on a granary floor. Thy hair soft lighted by the winnowing wind. Well, that's obviously the real author. Indeed, the real Keats. Now, the reason I could uh, to f may find these sitting careless on a granary floor. AI would never come up with granary floor or sitting careless. It would be completely different. So anyways, those are AI or people. Now, good luck. Good luck dis distinguishing this moving into the future. If somebody just said, as the great Gatsby said and read that quote, I'd be like, yeah, sounds like Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, let's get on with the day. You know, who needs it? I'm just going to um, read off a couple more here before we uh, fit, fix it up for today. Ecomarine Power introduces cloud communication IoT device for maritime applications. Very technical, but if you're interested in such things, it's linked up at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Toyota trials hydrogen power vehicle on public roads in Australia. Um, Society 5.0 is based on EVs, but it's Toyota is also thinking hydrogen might be better because you don't need to crash the grid, the electrical grid to make it work. Toyota's fuel cell vehicles included food trucks and mobile offices. An e-scooter startup wins over Japanese regulators who confounded Uber. And again, that e-scooter startup is a Japanese company and just like Japan wanting to incorporate new technologies into its country using Japanese um, technologies with Japanese values is also exhibited again in that uh, article there. E-scooter startup wins over Japanese regulated regulators who confounded Uber. That's it for Japan Society 5.0 today. Let's get out. But
But wasn't that interesting? Like, that's a lot of serious development going on in the world of AI and the world of society 5.0. And that's in Japan, but it's also in, in China and the ongoing futures. China's a few years ahead of us in this stuff. So as we see these new vending machines offering nothing pop up except for our compliance or building zero-waste shopping in Japan by having subscriptions to canisters of goop so we don't throw away plastics. Is it really about throwing away plastics or is it about scanning and controlling us all? The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have access to the latest medical advancements at a low cost, no matter where we are. AI and robots will enhance human ability and expand our infinite possibilities, helping us enjoy more fulfilling lives. Society 5.0 for the betterment of human lives. All right. And I think that's going to call it a day for today. Uh, if I have time later this week, I'll upload another podcast then, probably about war, some more about the economy. I have some more notes that I didn't get to today. Um, as we move into a two-a-week schedule for the time being, uh, maybe I could divide it into as well. I could have done half of the Japan Society 5.0 today with the war and included the other half in the next part of the week. But you never know. There could be a whole swath of new things that come along that need to be covered then. And then it's just more prep lost on the digital editing floor. So you found it. Thank you for joining the Japan What Podcast, episode 118. Very clean future with me, Matthew PMBigelow.com. Go there for some notes, some photos, donation ideas, and more. Until then, thank you for putting us on the charts. Number 80 this week, number 50 last week, but it used to be 120, 250. So now that we're climbing into the top 100, let's try to get into the top 50 a little bit more frequently, shall we? Hmm. All right. This is me, Matthew Bigelow, coming to you from the armpit of Asia in the Toshihisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. Until next time, I say to thee, I bid thee, Ja Mata Ne. Ja, ja.